0: afternoon, and welcome to the Live Poet Society, where we read aloud, literature in real time, and chat about it. I'm your unqualified host, Hattie Rensberry. For today's episode, we're going to discuss some poetry by famed historical poet, Oscar Wilde. Although I've previously mentioned Oscar Wilde in the, Weir- in the Queer Poets episode from a while back, we have yet to read any of his work on this show. Some of you may be thinking, Oscar Wilde, like the playwright? The very same. Unsurprisingly, many writers will test out different genres, methods, and styles to find what works best for their type of storytelling. In many cases, writers known for their short stories may also have a trove of poetry that is simply not explored, or screenwriters could have a lyrical phase with their deep emotional musings floating about on Tumblr somewhere. Self-expression and storytelling are deeply personal, even when you're someone who happens to be a nationally recognized writer that just happens to be known for your plays. Ergo, Oscar Wilde. Plenty of people have at least heard of The Importance of Being Earnest, one of his most successful plays, and even more have heard of his classic novel The Picture of Dorian Gray. Known as one of London's most popular playwrights in the 1890s, Oscar Wilde is a notorious figure in literature history. But first, let's go into his background. Oscar Wilde was born to Lady Jane Wilde and Sir William Wilde. Sir William worked as a ophthalmologic surgeon and even served as oculist in ordinary to Queen Victoria. Later in life, Oscar's father William served as the editor for the Dublin Journal of Medical Science and has been also noted as doing research in Irish folklore. Lady Jane Francesca Wilde was a writer herself and used the pen name Speranza for her published works. A family legend quoted that they came from... An Italian family heritage, although that is later proved to be false, she chose the word Speranza as her pen name because it does mean hope. Supposedly self-educated and able to speak ten languages, Lady Wilde became a beloved literary figure in her own right. Much of her work as Speranza were published in the nation and expressed sentiments for pro-Irish independence. The monument put up in 1996 dedicated to her at her husband's grave states, Speranza of the Nation, writer, translator, poet, nationalist, author of works on Irish folklore, early advocate for equality for women, and founder of a leading literary salon. Her poetry called for armed revolution, and in fact, that exact poetry got the paper shut down by the authorities. Lady Wilde is also known for her book Ancient Legends, Mystic Charms, and Superstitions of Ireland, of which a version is still available to read for free on LibraryIreland.com, and even more are still in print today. It is unsurprising that Oscar Wilde, a man known for being a passionate and prolific writer, comes from such a family background. And so, in tribute to Lady Wilde, we'll read one of her pieces first today. This piece is thought to be a part of the inspiration for one of Oscar Wilde's later works, The Ballad of Redingall. And here I give you The Brothers. This is a semi-graphic piece, so use your best judgment. "'Tis midnight, falls the lamplight dull and sickly, on a pale and anxious crowd. Through the court and round the judges, thronging thickly with prayers none dare to speak aloud. Two youths, two noble youths, stand prisoners at the bar. You can see them through the gloom. In pride of life and manhood's beauty there they are, awaiting their death doom. All eyes and earnest watch on them keeping. Some sobbing turn away, and the strongest men can hardly see for weeping. So noble and and so loved were they. Their hands are locked together, those young brothers, as before the judge they stand. They feel not the deep grief that moves the others, for they die for fatherland. They're pale, but it is not fear that whitens on each proud high brow, for the triumph of the martyr's glory brightens around them even now. They sought to free their land from thrall of stranger. Was it treason? Let them die. But their blood will cry to heaven, the avenger, yet will hearken from on high. Before them, shrinking, cowering, scarcely human, The base informer bends, who, Judas-like, Could sell the blood of true men While he clasped their hands as friends. I could touch the young children of his victim, Break bread with his young wife, At the moment that for gold his perjured dictum Sold the husband and the father's life. There is silence in the midnight, eyes are keeping, Troubled watch till forth the jury come, There is silence in the midnight, eyes are weeping, guilty is the fatal uttered doom for a moment o'er the brothers noble faces came a shadow sad to see then silently they rose up in their places and embraced each other fervently oh the rudest heart might tremble at such sorrow the rudest cheek might blanch at such a scene twice the judge essayed to speak the word tomorrow twice faltered as a woman he had been tomorrow fain the elder would have spoken prayed for respite though it is not death he fears but thoughts of home and wife his heart hath broken and his words are stopped by tears by the youngest oh he spake out bold and clearly i have no ties of children or of wife let me die but spare the brother who more dearly is loved by me than life pale martyrs ye may cease your days are numbered next noon your son of life goes down One day between the sentence and the scaffold, one day between the torture and the crown. A hymn of joy is rising from creation, bright the azure of the glorious summer sky, but human hearts weep sore in lamentation, for the brothers are led forth to die. I guard them with your cannon and your lances, so of old came martyrs to the stake. I guard them, see the people's flashing glances, for those noble too are dying for their sake. Yet none spring forth their bonds to sever. Ah, methinks, had I been there, I'd have dared a thousand deaths ere ever The sword should touch their hair. It falls, there is a shriek of lamentation From the weeping crowd around. They're stilled the noblest hearts within the nation, The noblest heads lie bleeding on the ground. Years have passed since that fatal scene of dying, Yet lifelike to this day, In their coffins still those severed heads are lying, Kept by angels from decay. Oh, they preach to us those still and pallid features those pale lips yet implore us from their graves to strive for our birthright as god's creatures or die if we can but live as slaves it is important to note that this work is based on a true story from a trial and execution in the 1798 rebellion which although lady wilde did not live through she likely studied considering her interests in pro-irish independence Throughout this piece, she takes pains to assign them to a saint-like pedestal, discussing their martyrdom and the lack of decay to touch their severed heads, which is a very common concept that's applied to the backgrounds and stories of saints and people especially who are sainted post-mortem. Note also that not all of the language Lady Wilde or poets from past eras may mean the same as it does now, nor carry a similar gravitas. Always read historic literature with context and intent in mind, because as our societies change, so do the connotations of our words. We'll move on here now to Oscar Wilde. He often wrote memorial poems, or poems dedicated to his friends and and lovers. Some of these were for other writer friends or for those who inspired him. I found a few of them in this book that I'm going through, The Poetry of Oscar Wilde, that I really liked. Um, One of them was for Yeats, and another one was for Shelley. And he doesn't specify which Shelley it was for, which is interesting because um, there are in fact three famous Shelley's that are all writers, which I imagine he probably would have revered at least one of them. There's Percy Bisset, Bisset Shelley. There's Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. And then there's the other Mary Shelley. So I suppose I'll let you decide, and then I'll give a little bit more background on some more clues you might have on who he's talking about. In his poem, The Grave of Shelley Like burnt out torches by a sick man's bed, gaunt cypress trees stand round the sun bleached stone. Here doth the little night owl make her throne. And the slight lizard show his jeweled head, And where the chaliced poppies flame to red, In the still chamber of yon pyramid, Surely some old-world sphinx lurks darkly hid, Grim water of this pleasance of the dead, Ah, sweet indeed to rest within the womb Of great mother earth of eternal sleep, But sweeter far, for thee a restless tomb, In the blue cavern of an echoing deep, or were the tall ship's founder in the gloom Against the rocks of some wave-shattered steep? So, if you're trying to figure out exactly which Shelley he's talking about, I can give you the clue that Mary Shelley and Percy Shelley are not buried together. Um, the wife and husband duo are not buried together. Um, Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley was buried with her parents um, in Bournemouth, England, with her that group of family plots and Percy's resting place is actually in Rome Italy so my my assumption is that he's talking about um, the more famous Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley rather than her mother or her husband Um, that is the same Mary Shelley who wrote Frankenstein the new Prometheus uh, as well as several other works um, but that is the one that she's most known for and given the affection that Oscar Wilde had for some gothic tones, something that his mother apparently also had, Uh, it's it's very likely he's talking about Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. Here's another one that he wrote for his friend, who is assumed to be accomplished Shakespearean stage actor Sir Henry Irving. Um, Additionally, you should note that Sir Henry Irving was also one of the inspirations for Count Dracula in Bram Stoker's original book, uh, because Henry Irving actually knew Bram Stoker and worked with him on several occasions. Um, now, given the original text of Bram Stoker's Dracula, you could take that as a compliment or as an insult. I, I let you—I'll let you guys be the judge of that one. But um, it is something to note because it's—it's it's an interesting add-on. To the whole picture of what, who Oscar Wilde was, who his friends were. As a famous playwright, it's not surprising that some of his friends were likely famous actors, especially famous Shakespearean actors similar to someone like Sir Henry Irving. So here we have Fabien de Franchi, to my friend Henry Irving. The silent room, the heavy creeping shade the dead that travel fast, the opening door, the murdered brother rising through the floor, the ghost's white fingers on thy shoulders laid, and then the lonely duel in the glade, the broken swords, the stifled scream, the gore, thy grand revengeful eyes when all is o'er, these things are well enough, but thou wert made for more august creation, Frenzied Lear, should at thy b- bidding wander on the heath with the shrill fool to mock him? Romeo, for thee should lure his love and re- desperate fear, pluck Richard's recreant dagger from its sheath. Thou trumpet set for Shakespeare's lips to blow. So what he's saying here is he's referencing a bunch of Shakespeare's works, such as King Lear, Romeo and Juliet, um, King Richard Third, just to name a bare few that are big name drops, um, and then saying, thou trumpet set for Shakespeare's lips to blow. So he, he really is talking about the, the fabulousness of which he believes that Shakespeare's words are being portrayed by this guy. And that is sort of the standard agreement between people who lived at the time. And this is this is late 1800s um, England when this guy was really big in his career and when Wilde was big in his career as well he was the shakespearean actor that people knew and apparently he very well earned that particular reputation so let's take a real quick break and listen to some more music inspired by oscar wilde and we'll come right back It's the style. Okay, you're listening to the Live Poet Society here on KDNK. I'm your host, Hattison Rensberry. For those of you just now joining us, we just finished reading some works by Oscar Wilde and one by his mother. Now we're going to move into some poetry that I found really fun looking through in the process of creating this episode. Um, Oscar Wilde did a lot of traveling, and as somebody who studied English and Greek, and um i believe irish or french i can't remember which one um he he talked a lot about his travels in his poetry it's like those people that go and they don't really take photographs anywhere except for when they're on vacation or when you have one friend who specifically will do sketches of something but it's really only places that they've actually been and are sitting in in the moment um it's it's just a really interesting way to experience something that someone else has enjoyed. And I, I like to imagine that with this piece, he sat down during each of these segments and just made it up on the spot, maybe edited it a little bit later, because who doesn't edit their work before publishing it? Most of us do. Um, but I like to imagine that he's sitting there, thinking about this or sketching it out as it's happening so let's see Um, I would also like to note that some of the titles in regards to his travels just begin with impression of and then the name of the place where he is this one is just called impressions and then has two separate sections so I'll name the sections as we go Um, but you should know that just this is titled just impressions he's just having in the moment impressions of the place that he is. Part 1. Les Silhouettes The sea is flecked with bars of gray. The dull dead wind is out of tune, and like a withered leaf the moon is blown across the stormy bay. Etched clear upon the pallid sand, the black boat lies, a sailor boy, clambers aboard in careless joy with laughing face and gleaming hand and overhead the curlews cry where through the dusky upland grass the young brown-throated reapers pass like silhouettes against the sky and this is part two la Fuite de la lune the outer senses there is peace a dreamy peace on either hand deep silence in the shadowy land deep silence where the shadows cease save for a cry that echoes shrill from some lone bird disconsolate a corn crake calling to its mate the answer from the misty hill and suddenly the moon withdraws her sickle from the lightning skies and to her somber cavern flies wrapped in a veil of yellow gauze both of those are really interesting because they're done in the evening and at night and there's plenty of wonderful poetry d- during the daytime, but something about this just really speaks to me personally. Um, another one of his great traveling pieces that I thought was fascinating um, is his sonnet on hearing the Dies ire sung in the Sistine Chapel. It's fascinating to see how different artists will respond to each other's work, especially when it comes to something like music and the experience, the impression that it left upon Ox- Oscar Wilde in that moment to the point where he had to write about it so this is his sonnet on the impression of, he f- he got from hearing the dies Ire sung in the sistine chapel nay lord not thus white lilies in the spring sad olive groves or silver-breasted dove "'Teach me more clearly of thy life and love "'than terrors of red flame and thundering "'the hillside vines dear memories of thee bring. "'A bird at evening flying to its nest "'tells me of one who had no place of rest. "'I think it is of thee the sparrows sing. "'Come rather on some autumn afternoon "'when red and brown are burnished on the leaves "'and the fields echo to the gleaner's song.' come when the splendid fullness of the moon looks down upon the rows of golden sheaves and reap thy harvest we have waited long it's fascinating to hear oscar wilde talk about religious references as well as plenty of the mythology references that he moves into a few of his works Um, he was a religious person and he was as far as i could tell christian he did also have a deathbed conversion to Catholicism, apparently, which is um, not terribly uncommon for the era, but is something that we have a little less often now, and adds just an extra facet to who he was as a person. So, in the interest of having a little bit more variety, I did also pull a section from one of his plays. um, Just to give a little bit more context to what he was especially known for while he was alive. Oscar Wilde was one of those very lucky artists who was appreciated and, frankly, maybe a little too famous for his own good while he was still breathing. Um, And that's not necessarily unusual, but it is something to appreciate and something that allows us to have a little bit more of an understanding of who he was, given the press around him given the fact that there are plenty of photos of him there's a wonderful series of photos from when he visited the united states Um, and they're just such a interesting part of having an artist that's famous in their own time so now i'm going to read an excerpt from his play an ideal husband well tommy has proposed to me again tommy really does nothing but propose to me He proposed to me last night in the music room, when I was quite unprotected as there was an elaborate trio going on. I didn't dare to make the smallest repartee, I need hardly tell you. If I had, it would have stopped the music at once. Then he proposed to me in broad daylight this morning, in front of that dreadful statue of Achilles. Really, the things that go on in front of that work of art are quite appalling. The police should interfere.' At luncheon, I saw by the glare in his eye that he was going to propose again, and I just managed to check him in time by assuring him that I was a bi Fortunately, I don't know what bimetallism means, and I don't believe anybody else does either, but the observation crushed Tommy for ten minutes. I'm very fond of Tommy, but his methods of proposing are quite out of date— I wish, Gertrude, you would speak to him and tell him that once a week is quite often enough to propose to anyone and that it should always be done in a manner that attracts some attention. Now, you'll notice a really significant tone shift between some of the poetry that we've been reading by Oscar Wilde and that particular play. And that's because Oscar Wilde's most famous plays are of a genre referred to as society plays. Society plays are something that were really, really popular at the time, and are still popular because they're still redoing versions of it, The Importance of Being Earnest. They're still redoing versions of several of his other plays, like A Woman of No Importance. Um, So there's something to be said for that comedy that we see over and over and over again, and it's, it's very funny to look at some of these issues that he was addressing and some of the things that we all have to laugh about a little bit Um, that existed at the end of the 19th century, and still exists now. Oscar Wilde is considered by some to be the living embodiment of the aestheticism, an art movement which includes the likes of Rossetti, William Morris, Whistler, and Beardsley, many of whom believed in what we now refer to as the concept of art for art's sake, without an inherent need for art to serve another purpose besides being beautiful. Wilde is often described as being an ostentatious and disruptive dresser with a dandy flair. Photos of him are generally dramatic with a sense of artistic direction rather than journalistic portraiture. Much of his personal style was dulled down, however, after a libel suit he brought against the Marquess of Queensbury during the height of his fame, which ended in a way that Wilde had not intended. As the trial went on, evidence on Wilde himself um, that he wanted to stay quiet caused him to drop the charges, but he ended up on trial for a charge cited as gross indecency, which is a broadly used charge that often targeted homosexual males. Another famous man convicted by the same charge was computer scientist and mathematician Alan Turing. Known alternately as the La Boucher Amendment, the law was used to prosecute Wilde for his relationship with Lord Alfred Douglas and concluded with Wilde being saddled with two years of hard labor in Redingall. The law has been repealed and reenacted on several occasions throughout the United Kingdom and Republic of Ireland. Both Turing and Wilde have since been pardoned, notably only in the past 20 years, And as of last year, Turing's law has been expanded to provide eligibility for a pardon to anyone who had previously been convicted of having consensual gay sex. That's something that we needed to talk about with Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde is often known for being a poet that, yes, he dressed flamboyantly and ostentatiously, but that's more about being a celebrity than anything. And... This particular trial and the stress that came along with it and the social issues that came along after being convicted in a society that didn't accept him as he was were part of many, many factors that likely contributed to his death after his release from Redingall, where he was imprisoned and put to hard labor for several years. Um, The prison itself... For a long while has been pretty empty, and at one point there was a movement to turn the building into a theater uh, in memory of Wilde and to try and create something good out of something very, very difficult. Um, But I didn't see a conclusion on that. His last piece was The Ballad of Redingal, which is a piece that was inspired by his mother's poem, The Brothers, which I read to you earlier. The Ballad of Redingall is also inspired by his experience in Redingall. This covers a decent amount of concepts, but it starts with the hanging of a murderer. It's not a light piece of poetry, and it's not short either. It's at least ten pages. It's a pretty wordy piece of poetry, and it doesn't really sugarcoat anything. But I do recommend that if you are feeling brave enough to read it, um, it's an interesting testament to what he went through at that time. At this point, they've done art exhibitions in the prison where Wilde was held and they have preserved his cell. And they've done a manner of other historical exhibitions in recent years as well. Um, So there's something to be said for... Historical figures, especially historical artists, doing some amount of persevering through history and through parts of history that were not nearly so kind to them. So, let's read a passage from the Ballad of Redingall that is now inscribed on Wilde's tomb. And alien tears will fill for him, pity's long broken urn, for his mourners will be outcast men, And outcasts always mourn. Thank you for listening to the Live Poet Society. I'm your host, Hattie Rensbury. The music from this episode included Oscar Wilde by Company of Thieves, Oscar Wilde by Warmduscher, sorry, my German pronunciation is not terribly good, um, and we'll end with a song called Oscar Wilde by Elton John. His heart like crucifixion nails